You're listening to the Empowering Lives Podcast, brought to you by the Department of Psychology at Help University, the University of Achievers. We'll be bringing you conversations with renowned psychologists and other health professionals that discuss a wide range of topics on mental health, psychology, and well-being. The Empowering Lives Podcast comes to you from the biggest psychology department in the whole of Malaysia. As we talk about the issues that matter to you most, stay tuned to this global podcast as we empower you to take away valuable insights and lessons that can improve your emotional health and well-being today. Hi, everybody, and uh, hopefully this, this podcast comes to you in a very pleasant morning, afternoon, or evening, whatever time you're listening in. Uh, this is a series of mental health podcasts in response to the recent COVID-19 virus outbreak. And so more importantly, I think uh, the entire department of psychology hopes that this podcast is coming to you in a time in which you're feeling safe and you're staying indoors and that you are uh, maintaining good ties and social relations with your family, with your friends. Technology is a wonderful thing. And we're also making use of technology here in order to stream and to allow you to download this podcast to listen to you. Uh, at your own convenience. So joining us here today, we have Miss Karuna Sarah Thomas. Karuna, are you over there? Can you hear me? I am. Yes. Yeah. Thank Hi. you for having me, Eugene. Thank you for joining us. And Karuna is a member from the Department of Psychology where she lectures uh, in research methods and statistics. But Karuna is also a gerontologist having completed her master's in the University of Southampton. Karuna, thank you for joining us again. Um, and let's, let's get going with our conversation here today because relationships is essentially what we're going to be talking about. And I, I think maybe if you could just start us off by just giving a general impression about some of the, some of the concerns that we may be having right now about maintaining our contacts with family and friends uh, amidst the, the virus scare and panic. Well, I think this is very much a situation specific uh, question because for some people, um, this movement control order um, mm -hmm. and um, quarantine in whichever part of the world you're in, really, um, it's a crisis around the world. So for some people, they're stuck with family. Um, mm. They're quarantined in with family. For some people, it's friends and they're away from their family. Mm -hmm. um, so for different people, um, this crisis looks different for them. Um, and so there are different ways to respond accordingly. Right. So uh, we could probably spare a thought for some of those, say, students. And you would know, uh, being, being in the same department, that they're living apart from family right now. They may not have a lot of friends. Uh, are the challenges and the stresses, the concerns weighing more heavily on these groups of individuals? Um, it's hard to say, really. Um, I would imagine that for, for students who are away from their friends, away from family more specifically, mm -hmm. um, there is that added anxiety, especially if say you're an international student from uh, a country that's considered high risk for the mm -hmm. coronavirus. Mm -hmm. um, there's definitely that anxiety there about, you know, can I go home or how is my family there doing? Mm -hmm. How are they coping? Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty um, mm -hmm. and that can certainly be um, a scary thing for a lot of our students. Um, mm -hmm. But the good thing is now with technology, um, there really is no such thing as physical boundaries, mm. um, at least not in terms of the internet. Uh, mm. And so when that sense of anxiety strikes or you want to communicate with, say, your parents who are away, mm -hmm. um, 
you can get on Skype, you can get on Zoom. Um, mm. There are options for, for communicating. Yeah. Mm, okay. Um, what might be, sorry, should yeah, I continue? Yes, please do. Okay. So um, what might be more tricky um, at this time is sort of maintaining healthy relationships, um, maintaining um, good communication. Mm. Um, and I think that's especially something that a lot of people who are with their families might be facing. There's um, a lot of um, quarantine protocols going on, um, mm. a lot of movement control orders. Um, and I think that's something that people are facing. So whether you're living with your family or you're living with housemates, um, mm. just sort of respecting boundaries and routines. Mm -hmm. I think uh, that's something that's important. Mm. Um, and uh, I teach a class on the psychology of family. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I can talk about this more from the perspective of the family, but you know, a common complaint you might get is something like, oh, Eugene, you don't understand. My mom is driving me insane. Um, <laughs> she's anxious all the time. And yep. uh, she's talking about the end of the world and oh, you know, yep. she, she's yep. going and panic buying and, um, you know, so uh, normally I would give myself some space. Normally I would have a night out with my friends or go for a drink alone, but I can't, mm. I'm stuck in this house and I'm mm. miserable. So that's usually something that we hear of quite commonly, or mm. that, that's a common complaint now. Um, and the reality is we aren't used to spending this much time together. Mm. We aren't used to this amount of contact. Um, and that's why boundaries in relationships with families and friends are important. Mm. Um, a lot of people advise using this time to spend more time with the family. Yeah. And yet like too much of this is not really ideal either. Yeah. Mm. I, I think that's such an interesting observation and interesting point because like you rightly said, there's a call for us to spend time with our family, taking care of our spouses, our siblings and our children. But you bring up yeah. an interesting point about personal boundaries and maybe even uh, if it comes to, uh, to the need of it, personal barriers. Is this an indication that our relationships with our family members isn't quite as strong or quite as good as we think it is? Um, not at all, actually. So in family psychology, uh, mm -hmm. we learn about the importance of achieving a balance in the family between cohesiveness. So mm -hmm. that has to do with how close we are, how strong our relationships are, and separation. Mm -hmm. um, so separation in extremes is not healthy because the family would be almost disengaged. No one mm -hmm. communicates, no one talks to each other, everyone just does their own thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that it's not healthy and I'm certainly not suggesting like you excommunicate your family members or something drastic. Oh, yeah, um, okay. But at the same time, um, doing everything together, that's not necessarily functional either. Mm. So this is where the cohesiveness, the closeness aspect, it goes mm -hmm. to an extreme. Um, and the individual's wishes are no longer important. They're no longer of value. It's only what the collective family wants. Mm. And this isn't really healthy either because a functional family, they operate as a cohesive unit, but each individual has a personal say as well. Um, and so like when I mentioned boundaries in recognizing this, it, it's really important that we communicate well, we support one another, but we also have clear boundaries. Mm. So in a balanced family, I talked about like cohesiveness and separation, the time apart is as important as the time together. Mm. Um, but now with the movement control order, with quarantine protocols, um, we are blessed with an overabundance of time together. <laughs> so we have to uh, knowingly and intentionally carve out that time apart. Mm. Yeah. 
I, I think that's an excellent suggestion. Um, what what could we do if we recognize that we want maybe a greater sense of closeness, maybe a sense of assurance from a family member, and maybe a certain family member does not necessarily feel that way. How do we how do we convey that actually without without offending or without hurting their feelings? I think the usual rules, so even in a crisis like this, the usual rules of good communication still apply. Mm -hmm. um, so whatever we learn about communication, so being a good listener, communicating mm -hmm. clearly, making your wishes known clearly, respecting mm -hmm. the other person, being open to ideas. This doesn't change just because we're in a difficult situation. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to sort of communicating with family members who may have different ideas, um, there are two specific things that um, I usually like to bring up. And the first mm -hmm. is making your needs or communicating your needs clearly. Mm -hmm. um, because this is sometimes taken for granted when you're spending so much time together, when everyone is anxious, you assume mm -hmm. that because we're together all the time, my partner or my parent or my child is a mind reader. They mm -hmm. know what I want. So if someone asks you what you want for dinner, and you say anything, you're assuming that they know you like this particular food. Mm, um, but right. they interpret that as being you're really okay with anything. And mm. so people are not necessarily mind readers or people are not mind readers really. Mm. Um, so being able to communicate, not assuming that someone is reading your mind. So if, if you have set up a workspace and you want to be alone in this workspace and someone keeps interrupting you, politely mm -hmm. communicating that, oh, I really need this time to work. Um, that's important. Mm -hmm. um, so communicating your needs clearly, but also listening clearly to someone else's needs. So mm -hmm. checking in regularly, how are you doing? Are you going stir crazy? Um, <laughs> so, you know, asking your mom, asking your spouse, how they're doing with these things, asking your housemates, um, you know, practicing kindness. Those are important things as well. Mm. Um, the second thing that I usually like to bring up uh, in terms of communication in a crisis, um, is not to convert neutral behavior into hostile behavior. Mm. Now, it sounds like a very like sophisticated concept, but it's actually a very simple one. So um, if your partner asks you, hey, what's for dinner? That's a neutral question. So you should take the question for what it is. Don't interpret it and respond in a hostile way. Yep. So, for instance, a hostile response would be, why do I always have to think of dinner? Why can't you do something for a change? You're always right, expecting right. me to do everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. And this in turn escalates into a full-blown argument. Now, some conflict is normal, even natural, healthy within relationships. Mm -hmm. But in a crisis like this, if we're constantly responding in a hostile way, uh, you will be in a perpetual state of conflict. And that's mm -hmm. difficult for effective communication. Mm. Yeah. I think these are all really excellent points and I especially like the point that you made about balancing, you know, the need for personal space, being maybe a little bit assertive, but not at all recommending any form of aggressive or, you know, a spillover to being verbally abusive towards the members of your, of your family. Yep. Yep. So um, just to build on the discussion that we are, we're having on effectively communicating um, do you have any, say, particular statements, phrases, you know, say, say I ask, for instance, uh, what's for dinner and the response comes back as being really, really hostile or really, uh, really aggressive towards me. What do I say to maybe even de-escalate or to diffuse the situation and to, you know, just, just, just take a firmer stance that I'm approaching this uh, conversation in the spirit of neutrality. I'm not implying or insinuating anything. Any, any phrases or statements that might help that? 
So I think um, if you have given a neutral question and you get a hostile response, um, and this is actually very difficult to do in real life, it's easy for me to talk about it here, but reverting to the neutral stand. Mm -hmm. So uh, no, no, not at all. I wasn't implying that I'm happy to order something. Mm, um, okay. So reconverting the conversation to a neutral ground. Mm. Um, so again, like I said, easier said than done because mm. once someone responds in a hostile way, your first sort of move is to defend yourself yeah, and right. you know, want to like, almost like pick a fight. Yeah, mm. so trying to convert it back. So de-escalating the situation, like you said, going back to a neutral situation, explaining, uh, so back to the communicating clearly no, that's not what I had in mind. It was just an honest question um, about this. Yeah. Mm, okay, excellent. Thanks so much for, for the points there. Um, I just want to extend also on this communication aspect uh, during the time in which mm -hmm. we're all bunkered down under the same household. And at times, people may not yeah. necessarily be aggressive or hostile. We also have encounters with family members who are anxious, who are regularly worried, who are... I would say catastrophizing or thinking about the worst possible outcome. So I was wondering if you could share some tips on how we can help to alleviate some of these anxieties and worries, especially when it comes to, say, people under our care. Uh, let's start with our parents and the elderly members of our family. What, what can we say to them? I think um, the first thing, and, and this really applies across the board, regardless of your age, that it is very normal to be anxious in a situation like this. Mm -hmm. um, we are in an unpredictable, concerning situation. Mm -hmm. um, and studies on emotions, and specifically in older people, they have shown that there really is no such thing as bad emotions. Mm -hmm. um, we usually consider things like anxiety or fear to be a negative emotion or a bad thing, but this is not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. um, anxiety and fear is a protective, protective thing, sorry. We're faced with a threat and so the human response is to be anxious and mm -hmm. I think it's important that we acknowledge that because a lot of times just labeling the emotion, saying to someone that, oh, I can see that you're anxious. Um, so labeling that emotion, it gives us a better grasp of how to deal with it mm -hmm. um, and recognizing that hey, my, my parent who's in their 70s, they might be in what is considered the high-risk group. They mm -hmm. probably have an additional level of anxiety to deal with. Right. So it's recognizing that, being aware of that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's important. Um, what isn't helpful um, is, you know, insisting that someone is overreacting or being paranoid sometimes mm -hmm. um, when their response really is normal or healthy um, because it implies that, you know, the value of life, the importance of the situation, it shows that we are aware and we care about what's happening around us. Mm -hmm. What also might not be helpful is um, joking about it. So for younger people, um, if you have older parents and you're um, a middle-aged or young adult, it mm -hmm. seems like less of a threat to us. So, you know, sometimes we joke, we cough a bit or we sneeze and then we go like, oh, I think I have it or something like that. Oh, and, and we think it's funny. <laughs> now, for an older person, it's not funny. It's a real threat. So when you say something like that, when you cough, they would very logically respond with concern and anxiety. Mm. Yeah. So um, the, these are real situations. So I think just acknowledging that that anxiety does exist. Right. Now, in terms of how we deal with it, um, it really is hard to say. Um, but studies among older people, these are Western studies specifically, but we can discuss them. They've shown that um, there's a thing called positivity bias in later life. 
Mm. Um, so what this means is that when there are mental resources available, older people tend to focus more on positive things. Um, so they are more likely to remember a smiling face. They are more likely to remember positive words. Um, now, I know some people may be rolling their eyes at this point and going, no, my parents don't remember anything positive. Um, so bear in mind, I said that when mental resources are available, um, then they focus on the positive. So our mental ability to focus on something is somewhat limited. So we tend to focus on the most pressing issue which in this case is the coronavirus. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that we should deny it exists or only think positive thoughts, yep. but we want to try and encourage an older person's natural tendency towards this positivity. So we want to make sure those mental resources aren't being wasted elsewhere, such mm. as with fake news that older people like to forward on WhatsApp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that is an unnecessary use of mental resources. Um, so stick to a few reputable sites, get your information from there. Anything mm. else, so things about like holding your breath for 10 seconds, breathing through your mouth, that doesn't need our mental resources. Um, so sort of being more mindful about what um, maybe your parents are looking at or saying like, oh, I don't think that's a reputable site, trying something else. Yeah. Um, and instead directing that information to the positive aspect of this, the mm -hmm. fact that many of us, are already doing the best possible thing to protect ourselves. We are all staying at home, or most of us anyway. Um, and regardless of the challenges, we already talked about how it's difficult to stay at home with the family. Yeah. Um, but we're all doing it anyway. So we're doing the best possible thing. That's a positive thing. We're yeah. washing our hands. We're practicing social distancing. So direct a person's mental resources towards that. So their focus is on things that is in our control, what we are doing right. So that way you can try to alleviate the anxiety, not by denying the situation exists or only having positive vibes or anything like that, yeah. but by acknowledging the threat and mm. demonstrating that as a community, we are realistically and practically doing everything we can to keep ourselves and others safe. Excellent. That's yeah. an excellent range of points. And uh, maybe just before we wrap up for today's uh, session, I like the idea about mental resources and ensuring that the mental resources that we, uh, the elderly uh, uh, and our parents have are actually directed towards productive, uh, positive emotion inducing uh, actions and activities. I was wondering whether, Corona, you could elaborate on some of the activities, actions or habits even that we could recommend to our parents or to the elderly members of our family to build and to generate rather the mental resources that seem so important. Um, are you talking more long-term, Eugene, or just like uh, in this immediate time? Mm, perhaps uh, given the current circumstances, uh, more say, I don't know if there's a short-term boost to mental resources, if you could suggest something along those lines. Okay, um, a short-term boost is, um, it's difficult to um, to suggest something because research consistently shows that um, uh, in later life, it's very much a life cost perspective. So mm -hmm. you can't do something in later life and then expect it to have an immediate effect. Mm, okay. um, but if, if say your parents are working, um, what might be like a short-term boost is directing the attention to something at work, directing mm. the attention because um, continuing work in later life has been shown to make an older person feel valued, make them feel important mm. um, and give them a real sense of purpose. 
So maybe they do volunteer work or um, maybe they have some kind of uh, group that they're a part of. So instead of sort of looking at boosting their mental resources, but directing their attention to um, situations they already have that are already helping them in that aspect, mm. that is probably what is more ideal. So um, it's, it's not a situation where you can do a Sudoku puzzle, for instance, and then boom, now I can pay attention to 50 different things. Yeah. <laughs> um, it doesn't quite work that way. Um, uh -huh. So that is a common misconception, but really um, uh, drawing attention to, you know, these are what, this is what people are, uh, people are doing to help. Um, mm. This is what frontliners are doing and showing them how they can be involved maybe by, by giving a certain amount of money or contributing meals or something. Um, so by, by establishing that sense of community, that sense of interaction, mm. um, that has consistently shown to increase the well-being of older people. Yeah. Right. Excellent. Thank you so much, Corona. I think uh, that's all the time we have for today's interview and podcast. I hope that you and your family are keeping well and think certainly with all the tips that you've suggested and share with our listeners. Uh, these are really practical tips that we can put to use and uh, just to make sure that we maintain healthy relationships within and with our family members and with our friends during this time. Great. Thanks again for having me. Thanks so much. And dear listeners, thank you for tuning in. We hope you found this podcast to be useful and to be practical as well in helping you manage your relationships in a time in which we have this uh, restriction of movement order. So that's it for me and from Corona. And uh, once again, we thank Corona for being on the show. And tune in again next time. We'll have another podcast series all devoted towards helping you better manage your mental health during the COVID-19 outbreak. This is Eugene Key from Department of Psychology signing off. We will hear from you while well, you will hear from us again very soon. Thank you. Take care now and bye-bye. You've been listening to the Empowering Lives Podcast, brought to you by the Department of Psychology at HELP University, Malaysia, the University of Achievers. For more information about HELP University, visit www.help.edu.my and learn about our world-class programs and mental health services. Thank you for listening. And remember, together we can empower each other to build rich and meaningful lives driven by purpose, vision, and values.